This is Lifetime Sentence, the podcast where we watch bad Lifetime original movies and compare them to the truly heinous stories that inspired them. Because sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction. Hey, how's it going? Well, we survived. We survived and last week, Paul we and Aaron. We got a new president. <sighs> I just need us to get through all the recounts and all this because, like, I know nothing's going to change. In fact, okay. since 2000, there have been 31 recounts and only three have ever changed anything. So I know this. Yeah, but... all, all the conservatives are like, oh, but uh, Al Gore and George W. Bush, he won by one electoral college vote. It was not the what however many that biden is ahead right now right it was one vote and it right. came down to one state and i think the it was the a final vote count came down to like 500 votes in that state 258 so i think close. is what i read today like it was crazy yeah. close it was not like this this mess also and can you is, even his side now are like quietly like backing away. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, suddenly so many of them have COVID. And I'm like, they're going to bow out. Like, oh, uh, I'm sick. Uh, that's a <laughs> um, Trump's like, boo, you whore. It's <laughs> exactly right. Well, they're at the Four Seasons next to the sex shop. <laughs> I feel like that is the story that got buried in all of this. Speaking of the sex shop. Oh, God. I just want to know, how uncomfortable were you when you opened our group chat? Oh, my God. (laughs) I was like, I was like, going to attempt to uh, contribute. So I sent the one hot guy on TikTok. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sit this one out. Me and the baby are going to play some video games. So I I have. Just imagine you walking in like that TikTok video. Hello, hello. I'm not where, where I'm, I'm supposed to be. be. Yes, clutching my pearls, which you know clutching I, you know I because don't mind. You being the one man in our group, you That's are the, the most thing. vanilla out of all of them. Right. Well, so I'm the one man, and I would argue that in most instances I'm the most conservative, and mm-hmm. so. I just like I opened it and y'all were like woohoo and I was like (laughs) and again as soon as as Fran said choke me like you hate me I was like oh (laughs) and again there's absolutely no kink shaming in my body there's no hatred for this conversation I was just like I have nothing to contribute no, I just wanted to know. I was like, oh, because you were over on Snapchat and our other group posting like wholesome content of the baby. <laughs> Me and the baby. And like us whores are in the group <laughs> tearing it up. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, speaking of. Talking about how sometimes, like Winding Crime says, you really do just want to get railed by a dumbass. <laughs> so. Speaking of wholesome content with the baby, I would just like to say Dr. Sarah and I have mastered the art of toddler parenting. And by that, I mean, she hid in the pantry to eat snacks so he couldn't see. (laughs) And I handed him an unplugged controller just so he would let me play video games in peace. So I mean, I'll tell you this. You fucking nailed it. (laughs) We're we're fast learners. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. It's been a day, y'all. It has it's been, been a wild Monday in our life. Well, and this week has been seven years. Like, Well, here's the thing. Like, I was on the edge of my sanity all week long. Friday night, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to watch the news all weekend. I'm turning it off. We're not going to have an answer. Nothing's going to happen. Everything's going to be lame. I'm not even going to look at the count because I don't care anymore. Um, I don't care about DeKalb County or whatever in fucking Georgia anymore. (laughs) I just need to take a step back. That lasted until 1030 on Saturday morning. Yeah, because you're the one who alerted me. (laughs) All hell broke loose. (laughs) One of my friends texted me and said they called it. And I was like, who called it? Because I'm not getting all worked up for, you know, uh, DemocratsRS.com. Like, <laughs> and she wrote back, she was like, turn on CNN. And I turned on CNN, and then it was CNN, and then it was uh, the Associated AP, Press. And then, and then CBS. So. And <laughs> even, like, oh, okay. even like BBC had reported that yeah. it had been called. And I was like, okay, when the international news is in on this, and then like... Like, oh my God, just the massive relief that washed over me and I felt muscles unspool and I just, I immediately clicked over to my most Republican friends Facebook to see what was going on on that side of things. And of course she had posted the let's all join parlor.com and I'm like, peace out motherfucker. But, um, I hope that (laughs) look, if you are a conservative and you want to join parlor.com, Please do. You know how quiet and peaceful my fucking timeline's gonna be, right? Well, she, her other status was when they're not <laughs> like when you're not accusing me of eating babies for breakfast and shit. Like, come right. on. Right. So no her other post was um, Facebook. Why aren't you taking this fake news off my news feed? And I was like, bitch, because it ain't fake. <laughs> that's the real. That's the real news. That's why. The real news. I yeah. It's been a interesting few days. It, but I'm very happy. I cried. I, well, I cried when Van Brady, not Brady, Van, whatever the guy on CNN. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when he made his little like speech, I bawled, and then I was texting a friend, and I was like, I didn't realize how tense I've been probably for the past four years until that came out. And like my whole body just relaxed. I was like, Oh God. (laughs) So yes. Well, and I was particular, particularly, and I haven't even been drinking yet. I was particularly like invested. (laughs) I was particularly, (laughs) God's not going to let me say this word. So I was very invested in, uh, I'm like Porky Pig in it. Um, in this um, election, I like this is the first one that I really have followed the entire way and read all the stats. And, you know, like I, I've always been involved, but this was the one where like I was weeding out the candidates and kind of playing fantasy football with the election and that I had called every step so far. And so, like, of course, I didn't call the swing states because like who could have predicted a couple of these you know i mean some Fucking analysts georgia, did sure out but of nowhere we're all sitting there staring at nevada and georgia's like just a slow middle finger coming up 
<laughs> to the sound of um chariots on fire. Yeah. Um well we're almost ten minutes in, so maybe let's introduce Yay. ourselves. This is lifetime uh-huh. sentence, and uh I am fucking relieved. I'm Aaron and I'm also relieved. Oh my gosh. And Good thing, because then I watched this movie and now I'm kind of depressed again. (laughs) So before we get into this movie, um, you know this, whenever I finished um, my bachelor's degree, I decided that on a whim I was going to apply for Yale and I actually got in. I didn't go because it's expensive and not where my life was headed. But um, so I mentioned this in my classroom one time that so I had a student who was just pompous and he told me that he wasn't going to need to use the music that I taught him in college for a scholarship because he got a 39 on his ACT. And I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you sort this out for a minute. I, uh, <laughs> I don't think that's, that's not a thing. Nope. I was like, change the ACT. <laughs> they hadn't. So I just looked at him for a minute and I was like, you, you know, I got into Yale, right? His jaw fucking dropped. And he was like, you mean Yale, like the Ivy league school. And I just put on my I thickest, I put on my thickest East Texas accent and I went, no, Yale, Y-E-L-L community college just up the road. <laughs> It's one of the quickest I've ever been. And he just like got up and left the room. You should have been like, what? Like it's hard. <laughs> God. I'm sorry. I promise I won't. I won't. L Woods this entire episode. Oh, uh, I think you should. <laughs> I think it's always appropriate between, between I mean, mean girls and um, legally blonde. Those are the only two valid movies in every situation. I mean, we are talking about Herbert. Herbert. <laughs> So as I was typing our um, episode into, <laughs> as I was typing our episode into this software, I was being goofy and I was like Hermless to Harvard, and then I spelled it that way. So uh, I might as well just keep that the title for this week. I'm on board. Mm. All right. So the other day you texted me and you were like, "Let's do something uplifting since we're on such a high right now." <laughs> and this movie is supposed to be uplifting it's on like an uplifting list of lifetime movies because that's what i googled it's not um i wanted to like this movie a lot um but the real plot doesn't even start until two-thirds of the way through the movie perfect and then the storyline is extremely chaotic and then at the end, we'll get to we'll get to the ending the ending text that they like talk about for life. And I'm like, am I supposed to be proud or sad? Like I don't know. <laughs> All right, this week I watched Hermes to Herman. <laughs> the Liz Murray. Yes. Story. Good. I'm glad I got that right. Um, it stars Thor Birch. I love good old Thora. She's had a moment this month because it was Hocus Pocus month. She plays Liz. You will know her from the best, one of the best movies ever made, Hocus Pocus. Um, I Um, think you meant one of the best movies ever made, comma, The Pregnancy Pact. Period. Well, I mean, that's on our list to watch, too. Maybe that'll be a little bit more uplifting than (laughs) Karen (laughs) Mr. 
What is, is she an American beauty or American psycho? I always say the wrong one. She's an American beauty. Yes. I love that movie, but I always call it the wrong one. I have to stop She's and check myself. Patriot games. Which one is that? Mel Gibson? No, no, not the Patriot. Um, oh, Patriot that's what I was thinking. Like the a, Patriot. It's like a president. Something. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Daughter. <laughs> that's right. Um, and it does, it, there's no other really big names except for the young, the girl that plays young Lisa, who is Liz's sister. Uh huh. Is Ellen Page. Really? Yes. Another like actress I really Page, love. I'm like, I know her. <laughs> That's like, have you seen the musical Gypsy? Mm hmm. The Bette Midler version, the young um, <clears throat> June is. Um, Hold on. Handmaid's Tale. Elizabeth. Um, Elizabeth Moss. Yeah, Elizabeth Moss. And the, when we watched that recently, I was like, hold the fuck up. The disappointing Scientologist. Good actress, though. I know, but every time I see her now, I just think, oh, my God, she's a Scientologist. Yeah. Oh, speaking of weird cult shows or real weird cults that turn into shows. Uh, I, so I watched the real housewives. Oh, I watched the vow on HBO and then I watched seduce, which is stars documentary with India Oxenberg in it. The vow is really good. Although it's super long. Like, I don't think it needed to be nine episodes long. Um, that's what I've heard from lots of people. But they very much gloss over like the actual crimes that Keith Raniere committed in favor of like, this is how the cult works. And this is how the MLM aspect works. And, <clears throat> these were my feelings when I left Whereas, well, I was going to say do you uh, think part of that is because he was he was in it like making a documentary mm-hmm. and he was being wooed at the time it's yeah. not like he was looking at an outside in perspective I think so and so Seduce <clears throat> on the other hand is only four episodes long I mean trigger warning trigger warning trigger warning it's rough to watch but it gets into the nitty gritty of why this man was sentenced to 120 years in prison last week. Bye, bitch. Like, fuck yeah, that guy. So, so much, much good news all at once. <clears throat> really? I mean, just like, <laughs> bam, bam. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Joseph James D'Angelo uh, finally got to his final rotting place. I know. This week. Oh, and Aunt Becky's returning friend. to Hallmark and um, is going to get out early so that she can spend Christmas with her daughters. That must be nice. So. Um, yeah. So anyways, this movie opens with <laughs> super depressing music and close-ups of graffitis. Graffitis? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. God. We're terrible. Uh, needles. Homeless people sleeping. You know, things like... Isn't this the, just the opening... Christmas mood. Isn't this the opening montage of Rent? How We're not gonna you. pay. <laughs> I'm gonna end this call now. <laughs> you if know you like I love Rent. Perform Rent instead of talk about this movie, I can do it. <laughs> as long as I get to be Joanne and take me or leave me. Fine. Okay. That's fine. As long as I get to be Maureen. I figured you, you'd want Maureen. I want to be Maureen and I want to be Mimi. Well, yeah. 
I don't see why why you didn't why you have to pick. Let's go. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> We're never gonna uh, make it through this fucking movie. We really aren't. <laughs> it's okay. Thor Birch walks. Oh, walks. <laughs> Again, we're never going to make it through this fucking movie. Thora Birch talks through the fourth wall. <laughs> I like the idea of her walking through the front fourth wall, like ring style coming out of your TV. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, God. I'm not even drunk. Oh, it's terrible. Okay. <sighs> okay. She talks about her mom, who was an alcoholic, a drug addict, a schizophrenic, and also legally blind. So, that's a lot of circumstances. <laughs> um, and we see what I assume is supposed to be her mom shooting up. Okay. Delightful. Um, then there's a scene from sometime in her life uh, where the mom is fighting with her older sister, Lisa, for money. Now they're kids. They're like little kids. When I say older sister, I mean like 10. Right. <clears throat> they're fighting over money. Uh, while Lisa, or sorry, while Liz watches and her dad just watches Jeopardy. Great. Also RIP Alex Trebek. We'll miss you. <clears throat> um, but yeah, like the dad is just like watching TV and the mom is like screaming and physically fighting with her children for cash. Perfect. I mean, this is just like Thanksgiving at my house, so. I mean, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the mom literally is fighting Lisa with a knife. Who brings so a Liz, knife to a cat fight? Who brings a knife to a fight with their daughter? Listen, I... Not the first time I've heard that story, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so Liz goes and gets the money out of the mattress. Um, and then they fight over it some more. And finally the mom breaks down crying and Liz just gives her the money. Um, the voice of her says that she realizes how pathetic she is for just wanting her mom to be happy. Since they were like starving. Um, so the mom leaves and... Uh, Liz pulls her dad away from Jeopardy to go find her because, you know, she's blind. And so she can't go out walking in the nighttime because she'll be blind because she's blind. Because <laughs> she'll be blind. <clears throat> Listen, she can't go walk out after dark because she'll be blind because she was blind before. <laughs> dad, what are you yeah. doing? <clears throat> You're welcome. Um, they managed to pull her out of the road because the mom is just standing in the middle of the road. Casual. Um, and then her parents just leave her to go buy drugs and Liz eats powdered donuts out of a garbage can um yeah this should not have been on an uplifting list um so then one day at some point in this child's life still don't know when um <clears throat> the police come with the paramedics to give Jean, that's the mom's name uh medication and take her to the hospital she attacks them with a knife as well and well, you have the social to. Worker, the social worker comes in and yells at the kids for not keeping the house clean. That's not a that's not a thing, ma'am slash sir. Um. So Liz goes to school and people make fun of her because she smelled <clears throat> bad because she never showered and had lice 
because she never showered. Um, because she never showered and poor she wore thing. her underwear until they fell off. Oh, poor thing. Mm, I know. Um, young Liz's teacher brings her some clothes and somehow, even though Liz only makes it to school like three times a month, she makes super good grades while she's there. That will come back. Uh, <laughs> Wait, you, you mean homeless know, to Harvard? You're, you're going to see a student who's good at school? First of all, it's Hermes her- to, to Harvard. <laughs> um, the teacher makes her promise to come to school. Um, Liz's mom comes back home and she's like fucked up from being what they call the hospital, but I assume was like hell. Her arms are all like jacked up and like scratched open and shit. Um, but she has glasses now and she seems more mentally aware. Well, oh, okay. Um, Liz shows her her 100 on a test and mom is like, please don't ever run away. I'll always be there for you. By the way, I have AIDS and I'm going to go live with your grandpa. Bye. And she leaves. You know, when I showed my mom 100 on a test, she just put it on the fridge, Jean. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so Liz is there for a while by herself until social workers show up because she is not going to school because her dad doesn't make her go to school. They yell at Liz naturally for all this happening. Good. Yeah. I mean, uh, why wouldn't a 10 year old be responsible for the, all of their own actions? I don't know. Um, and they take her to foster care. So, they take her to a group home where she has to clean toilets and watch people get beat up. Uh, someone pours hot soup on her. The administrative people yell at her and say she has a discipline problem. Um, and finally, I guess she gets out of the home because she goes and moves in with her grandpa, her mom, and her sister, who have just been living in another house this whole time. I don't understand this movie. <laughs> I don't either. Um... So mom is doing better because she's not doing cocaine anymore and they spend a lot of time together. Mom breaks the news to Liz that her dad is in a homeless shelter and like all their stuff is gone because their apartment is gone. Um, Then she leaves Liz at a restaurant so she can go get a drink in a bar. Uh, Liz sneaks back to the old apartment to try and get some of her old stuff, but it's empty. Um, Liz's mom enrolls her in school and she makes a friend who sticks up for her when the teacher's just being a bitch. Um, bitchy teachers can go to hell like I'm tired of them being well it was kind of weird like you know her name is Elizabeth obviously but uh, the teacher like calls her Elizabeth and she's like I don't really like that I like to go by Liz or Lizzie and she's like but I think Elizabeth is a perfectly nice name and she's like cool well Elizabeth is what my mom calls me when she's going fucking crazy so can you not please yeah okay (laughs) so this is like this is a problem that's pretty rampant, especially among white teachers in schools that they just decide what name you should be called. Um, and I've watched so many people do it like with a name that they have deemed quote ghetto. I hear it all the time. And they're like, I'm not going to say Trenisha. Can I just call you Nisha? Like, no, call her her fucking no. name. What the fuck is that? No, 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 I'm not going to die on this hill today. <laughs> I will die on this hill. I'm not going to do it in this episode. I, I, join our Patreon because I hear I'm about to get pretty fucking worked up. <laughs> oh, everyone 
Everyone who has a conservative in their life, join our Patreon this week. I'm going to help you out. Patreon.com slash Lifetime Sentence. Um, so, uh, uh, Liz and her new friend Chris get in a mud fight in the courtyard of school because why not? Why not? But it's like a fun one. It's not bad. It's fun. I was like, whatever. Um, Liz goes to hang out with her new friends and her mom shows up at her friend's house drunk and pukes on the front door and then pukes like in the in the apartment. And then yeah. while Liz is trying to get her under control and like get her to the bathroom, she's screaming, I'm a good mom. Okay, now you have been a parent longer than I have. Is this something that's in the playbook that I haven't read yet? Like Okay, so I should not schedule that for some future visit. Okay. Let me tell you what I do have scheduled is like as soon as I drop my kid off at college, I'm going to the nearest bar and taking two shots of tequila and I better not run into him on my way out. (laughs) (sighs) Anyways, (laughs) so everyone takes off. They go back to Liz's house, I guess, and Liz gets her mom like in bed and everyone leaves except Chris. And after Liz puts her mom to bed, they talk about how fucked up both of their lives are. Chris, her friend, this so sad. Her friend was like, my mom's getting back together with my dad. And um, Liz is like, oh, no, like that's I mean, I'm assuming that's bad. Like, you know, what's the deal? And he's like, she's like, oh, well, he touches my sister. No. And she's like, oh my God, like that's horrible. Like, you know, something like, and she's, uh, oh no, no. She's like, she says, oh my gosh, it's horrible. And then she's like, wait, you don't have a sister. Oh and no. And so Chris, Chris just looks at her and she goes, lucky for her. Oh no. It's like, baby. So, um, basically her father is raping her. You right. Yeah. Um, so Liz's grandmother, or, or, so Liz is trying to convince Chris to come secretly live with them. Okay, casual. Oh, teenagers. Um, Liz's grandfather comes in and makes a scene. He pushes Liz over a bed. So Liz and Chris run away and start panhandling like you do. Well, yeah. I mean, at this point, that's the most logical thing I've heard. Yeah, actually, it's, yeah. They couch surf with friends and hang out on rooftops. I wonder if it's always winter in New York because this whole movie seems to take place in the winter, even though it takes place over many years. <laughs> Maybe it's a it's symbolic, a symbolic. Winter. It's always snowing in New York City. It's always winter, but never Christmas. Um, oh, they go to the bodega and steal some blam instead of spam. <laughs> Did you know the off-brand is called Treat, but it's spelled T-R-E-E-T? Okay. We threw it from the third floor of our apartment building in college, and it bounces, not splats. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks. Um, Liz still occasionally goes to uh, visit with her mom, and her mom tries to make her promise to go back to school. Um, she promises she'll go, but then she just continues to run around with her friends. One night, she goes to check on her mom in the bar where she usually is. And the patrons in the bar tell her that her mom died the morning before. Oh, my God. 
Liz goes, Liz and Chris go to the funeral, which isn't really a funeral. She's being buried in a pauper's grave. Um, and her name is spelled wrong on the wooden coffin. Great. I hate it. So everyone is leaving, like, because the grandfather's like a fucking asshole. And he's like, this is dumb, blah, blah, blah. Um, um, and he's leaving and there's no real service. There's no priest or anything. So Chris takes out her a gigantic, like, magic marker and fixes the spelling on the coffin and writes, quote, beloved mother of Elizabeth and Lisa Murray. Oh. And she draws, like, a little angel on it. Um, then, like, randomly, Chris chooses this moment to be like, by the way, I'm going to go live in a group home. You should come with me. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Now's the appropriate time to say those words. So Liz is like, nah, I'm good, thanks. And then she lays on top of the coffin for a while because, uh, yeah, uplifting. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so Liz goes to see the lady that used to live upstairs from them. Her name is Eva. And she tells Eva, she's like, I, want, I don't want to be stupid. I want to go to school. So Eva lets her stay there for a while. Okay. So Liz goes to enroll in school. And they try to turn her away at first because she's, Late to a meeting. Okay. I was like, oh, she's 15 and late? Crazy. Right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> she has to write an essay about why she wants to go to school. So this is basically like a charter school that she's trying to get into. Okay. Like, it's free, but you have to be admitted. Um, right. Um, so she goes in and tells her story, and it's very compelling because, of course, it is. Um, and the guy lets her in. But she has to have an address and a legal guardian. All of those things that you don't have when you're homeless and your mom just died of AIDS, as I just told the guy that, like, let me in this school. Right. <laughs> so she goes and finds her dad at a homeless shelter so he can be her guardian. They walk all the way over to the school. And he's like, oh, my God, I can't do this. But she's like, please, dad, like, please, like, you know. And so he, she begs him and he does it. Um, it's really funny. This whole movie, anytime somebody asks her dad about Liz, like whenever the social workers are there, the police officers or this principal at this school, he's like, oh yeah, she's a feminist. <laughs> it's like really random, but kind of endearing. Cause it's just like, it, like it's the thing he just always says about her. Right. <laughs> uh, like the guy at the school was like, oh, you know, we're so glad to meet your daughter. He's like, yeah, she's a feminist. Like, <laughs> Love it. At least he knows something about um, her. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, yeah, um, when I married her, he says, when I married her mom, um, I thought we were just passionate and out of our minds, but it turns out she was actually insane. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so anyways, he vouches for her. He gives them a fake phone number and a fake address, and they're like, okay, uh, welcome to school. <laughs> And so uh, she walks her dad out and he's like, yeah, I'm not a people person. I have to go now. Bye. You can tell he has some kind of like mental disorder, but I don't know what it is. I don't speculate to figure it out. I'm sure it's probably in the book that you read. Um, her dad also chooses this moment on the street to announce that he also has AIDS, but he's going to be fine because everything's changed now. There's new medications and he's clean. So he's going to live forever. Perfect. Spoiler alert. He doesn't live forever. Well, at the end of this movie, he was still alive. How dare you? I'm just letting you know, spoiler alert, nobody lives forever. 
Except for Betty White and the Queen. And Cher. They were all they were all here before God himself. Um so he tells her he hugs her and he tells her to stay in school. Oh, she says she tells him he lo- she loves him and he goes, "Don't love me. It's a waste of energy." That's so heartbreaking. Um so Liz starts going to school and she gets good grades cuz she's super smart. Um she goes to the teacher and because he gave her an A minus and she wants to know how to make A's because quote, if my words count, I want to make sure they're right. I love that. She's taking five classes plus Saturday school, French and night school science. Um, That's she's exhausting. trying to graduate with a four year high school degree in two years. She gets a job washing dishes at a Chinese restaurant, which she does while she studies. So she's basically also living on the subway and going to school. One day she runs into Chris. Uh, Liz takes Chris to the school with her. She asks David, like the principal guy, where he gets the dedication. And he says, well, I'm such a privileged asshole. I decided to give something back. <laughs> Which I kind of thought was endearing. Yeah. Like, oh, like, like, I love this. Know. Yeah. Um, David tells Liz he's sending the top 10 students in the school to Boston. And Liz is going to get to go because she's not only one of the top 10 students, she's the number one student. Chris really shits on this for her, um, but she goes anyway. David takes them to Harvard and, and encourages Liz to apply. So she goes home and starts applying for scholarships. She turns in a big scholarship application on her 18th birthday because she waited to turn it in because she was telling them that she was homeless and she had to wait till her 18th birthday because she officially couldn't be taken in by Child Protective Services or whatever. Right. Um, she approaches her sister for clothes to wear to her interview for the scholarship and she and Lisa gives Liz her coat. Her sister is like, you're not really homeless. And Liz is like, yeah, but I am. I can't stay here. You know that. Um, Lisa also tells her that she's going blind. Great. I hate it. Chris runs up to Liz on the street because she got kicked out of the group home. They get into a fight, but Liz shakes her off and manages to make it to her interview. Anyway, this is all happening in one day. Um, this is all happening in one day. It's crazy. Um, she talks about how she needed to get out of her situation, etc. but she repeats what she says at the beginning about how she never forgot her mom loved her, even if she didn't all the time. Then she reminds him that if they don't give her the money, she, like, won't be able to go to college at all. So, uh, my future's in your hands. Thanks. Bye. Um, of course, she gets the scholarship. She gives a speech about where a reporter asks if um, she ever felt sorry for herself. And she says she just worked hard. And her situation gave her no options but to look forward, etc. Um, then he asks her if she would change anything. And she says she would give everything back to have her family back. She gets thunderous applause, and her voiceover says she got into Harvard. She got a job at the New York Times, got an apartment, and she doesn't have to carry her whole life with her anymore. And then randomly in our edit of the week, which we haven't had in a long time. In a long time. We switch to Liz speaking through the fourth wall in a courtyard at Harvard. Great. Like in one minute, she's walking out of a, of a room, and now she's in a courtyard. <laughs> I love it. Love it. She says she still carries her whole life with her, but sometimes bits and pieces fall off, etc. 
Then she says, quote, bye, mom. And I was like, is your mom in, in the courtyard? Do you see dead people? What's happening? It's a part of the symbolic winter. You wouldn't get it. Okay. You're always in symbolic <laughs> autumn. So. <laughs> so she turns around and walks in the other direction. I'm left super confused. Music plays. Liz goes to class. Quote, Liz, Liz's father is living with AIDS in his own apartment. Chris has a steady job and remains good friends with Liz. Liz pays for her own apartment with money she earns from speaking engagement. Liz left Harvard in the spring of 2003. She continues to pursue her college education and still believes the, rose will ri- the road will rise up to meet her. The end. <laughs> what a piece of shit. <laughs> It was so bad that like, I know those notes were confusing, but that was the movie. You go watch the movie. (laughs) That's awful. That's awful. Literally the last two paragraphs were all about how she went to school and it was like the last 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah. So they did a whole lot of harmless and not very much Harvard. Yes, but also there wasn't a lot of harmless. It was just a lot of like chaos. It was very chaotic. It was super... No, not your best work lifetime. Do better. (laughs) All right. So I found several (laughs) articles about Liz Murray um, that kind of detailed her life, and I conglomerated them, as well as reading her memoir um, called Breaking Night. Um, And... Breaking Dawn, the Twilight Saga? Yep. She's she's actually Renesmee. You act like I've read one of those books. I have not. Oh, that's the child of Edward and Bella. Who then... Which one's the sparkly one? Edward. Okay. And there you Chris, go. And Kirsten Stewart is the is Bella. Well, Kirsten Stewart's not a person. <laughs> Kristen Stewart is. Oh, I, sh- I don't like her no matter how you say her name, so... <laughs> She's not my favorite either. Um. Anyway... She's very androgynously attractive, though. I'll give you that. So spoiler alert to anybody who didn't take the opportunity in the past 12 years to read this book. They have a baby and then grown ass Jacob, who's the werewolf imprints on the baby and vows to marry her when she's grown. So let that settle in for a hot minute. I feel like that's illegal. I feel like it is too. And at least one state, it's gotta be illegal. (laughs) Uh, hey, maybe even Wisconsin because they redeemed themselves this this season. <laughs> we tentatively like Wisconsin. <laughs> All right. So um, from her memoir, Breaking Night, this is the um, this is how the book opens. The first time daddy found out about me, it was from behind the behind glass during a routine visit to prison when Ma lifted her shirt, teary eyed, exposing her pregnant belly for emphasis. My sister Lisa, then just over one year old, sat propped against Ma's hip. Reflecting on this time in her life, Ma would later explain it wasn't supposed to turn out that way, pumpkin. It wasn't like me and daddy planned for this. Even though she'd been on her own and in trouble with drugs since age 13, Ma insisted, Daddy and me were going to turn around. Somewhere down the line, we were going to be like other people. Daddy was going to get a real job. I was going to be a court stenographer. I had dreams. So this is the opening that sets the tone for just the 
ball of sunshine that came in this yeah. book. Mm-hmm. Um, so That's one word for it. <laughs> she, um, she goes on to describe her parents, and usually I don't spend so much time giving like the biographical information of the parents, but I think the parents' influence is so strong in her life that to not cover them would be remiss. So um, her mom was the oldest of four children and um, she left. So it was a very abusive situation. um, And she often spoke of how guilty she felt for eventually leaving the abuse and her siblings behind. Um, She in fact struck out on the streets when she was just 13 years old. She hid under bridges. 13-year-old me would have lasted approximately 45 minutes on the streets. Oh, hell. I was too lazy to walk to the street because I grew up in the middle of nowhere. So, like, <laughs> I would have just been there. Um, but I was never... I was in a pretty rough situation for a while, but I was never in a situation so badly that I felt that that was the way I could escape it. Yeah. Same. I don't know what desperation at 13 felt like, you know? Um, so she spent her time hiding under bridges, getting high with her friends and like avoiding her family at all costs. She started out as many do smoking pot and sniffing glue. She moved around living on different friends, couches for periods of time. She took odd jobs as a bike messenger and turned to sex work as a teenager. Yep. I'm very interested to know that they did not cover any of that. Yeah. In this movie. Um, The money she collected from these jobs bought her, um, brought her rather to heavier things like speed and heroin. Mm -hmm. And by the time Liz's mother had met her father, cocaine had become the popular trend. It was the seventies and she was in the village. So it was kind of the, the place to do it. Um, Sure. And and Liz described it as hip huggers, mutton chops, and disco music were all the rage. And uh, basically it was a wild time for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Liz's dad came from a middle class Irish Catholic family and grew up outside of New York City. Um, his father was a shipping boat captain who wound up being an abusive alcoholic. Um, his mother was quote, a hardworking and willful woman who refused to put up with what she called the foolishness of men. So she divorced, uh, his father during a time when divorce was like unheard of. I mean, but I feel like refusing to put up with the foolishness of men should be like my new life. Motto. <laughs> right. If. If yeah. nothing else, when you die, I will make sure that's on your grave. Here lies Aaron. All I do is... She refused to put up with the foolishness of men. For five minutes before she died, because that's <laughs> not true. Like... <laughs> All I do is put up with the foolishness of men. With an asterisk and then really small chiseled underneath it, it'll say allegedly. Allegedly. Hashtag <laughs> <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> um... So she divorced him, like I said, during a time when divorce was unheard of um, and left him, I mean, like because of the abuse. And so he left and he never came back into his son's life ever again. Like that was the last moment he saw his own father. I mean, she didn't put up with his foolishness. 
foolishness. Yeah. Um, so, so after this, Liz's father was often described as a lonely child with a quote, hurt soul who never really got over his father's abandonment. Um, his mother worked long hours. So he spent most of his time at friends houses. Um, and he basically said he felt like he was an observer to their families rather than an active participant in his own. Okay. To be fair, I have many similar feelings and I have thus far turned out to be a fairly stable individual. Fair. So, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned an underlying, probably untreated mental health issue. um, And I think that contributes greatly to this situation. My depression anxiety is treated. <laughs> yeah, mine also, is too. it's not nearly as bad as the PTSD I used to have. So this is kind of like a picnic for me. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, so throughout his late teen years, he turned to reading the great American classics. He vacationed in his classmates, like beachfront summer homes. So he had friends who were from a much higher class than he was, and he benefited greatly from it. Um, sure. He would ignore his mother's phone calls. Like if he was on a trip, she would call eight or 10 times and he would just refuse to talk to her on the phone. Um, and if uh, she... same hard, same, sir, I get it. Right. <laughs> um, and then, you know, just casual as a pastime, he popped amphetamines beneath the bleachers of his high school football field. Oh, there's where we, uh, <laughs> there's diverge. The the Found it. Um, he'd always been quick to learn. And so for a long time, he did really well in school. Um, even through all of his like sloughing off and all of this, but, um, eventually the drugs made it too hard for him to concentrate. So he slacked off on homework and he dozed in his classes. What's that face for? Okay. We just got an email. Oh, do I need to pause the recording? No. Okay. Oh, no. Let's read this one live. Okay. <laughs> it says, hey, I was on Instagram and I found your page. I noticed that the number of followers you have on your page was not encouraging. <laughs> Looking at your Instagram page, wow, you post really great contents. that needs to get more engagement or reach more people. I found this legit (laughs) and very reliable tool that will automatically help you. (laughs) Now he sent us an email. This same person sent us an email a couple of days ago. Cause you can see I opened a draft because in that one, Oh, that one he said, um, I even followed you and I just ca- emailed back, but I didn't Bitch, send it. No, you did it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just happened to see that out of the corner of my eye. And I was like, what in the hell? <laughs> All right. So, um, <laughs> anyway, so the drugs made it really hard Please for him to concentrate in school. Please follow our Instagram page at Lifetime Sentence so people will stop thinking we're not encouraging. <laughs> I'm going to get a complex from some dude that doesn't even speak English. <laughs> Fuck me. Um, where did I leave off? Oh, yeah. So in his last year in school, 
Um, he applied and was admitted to college, uh, to a college located right in the heart of New York city. It doesn't say which one, but, um, whichever one was in the heart of New York city. So Fordham's in the middle of New York city. Do what? Fordham. Well, maybe it's that one. Um, when graduation rolled around, he barely squeaked by, um, like from high school, um, but he saw Manhattan was like the start of his real life and college was going to be his springboard into something better and something new. Um, but it wasn't long before um, basically he was back to his old high school self, except now he was older and not in Baldwin, New York. So he had access to um, more nefarious deeds. Lots drugs, lots, <clears throat> lots more drugs. I real talk though. I've lived in Texas my entire life. Right. And I have never wanted to move to New York City more than last weekend. Right? So I always wanted to leave in New York City. And when I saw that, I was like. I wanted to for like six months or a year. But that, like the whole city last week, like that, like moved me. I was like, man, I would, I would love to live in that kind of community. If you ask Sarah to this day, she will say like that if our paths had never crossed, that she knows that I would still be living like that. I would be in an apartment in New York city performing mm-hmm. on Broadway and probably miserable because I can't perform that much. Like I found out that I hate it, but um, that was my dream. And I, mean, I was, also you can't survive without Sarah. So that's also accurate. Mm-hmm. I mean, we met when we were 19. We met when we were 18. We started dating at 19. I've never had to be a grown man without her. Sweet little babies. <laughs> I still like to this day, and I'm waiting for my child to go to college and stop sucking me dry. Uh, I want to live in London for like a year. There's like a there's a big insurance thing over there called Lloyd's of London. It's a big thing. I won't get into it. It's very complicated, but you can like it's a huge thing, and I would love to go work there for like a year. Um, setting up a recording time. Well, no, by, because by then I'll be working for myself. So we'll be able to work around any schedule. Exactly. Don't worry. I thought of you. Uh, Good. Or I'll just have to come with you so that we can record in person. (laughs) Sorry, Sarah. Listen, I can, I'm just going to have to take a sabbatical from my own job, from my own business and And just go. And my family. Yep. Um, The baby. On your own. Going to London. Bye. So anyway, um, in a few years time, he came to, rather than applying himself at school, he was applying himself toward peddling drugs. Um, And he actually rose like to the top ranks of a small, it says click of drug pushers. And I'm like, I've never heard anything described this way. It's a small group of cl- drug pushers called a click. <laughs> Somebody grab a dictionary. Let's look this up. You know, like a group of crows is called a murder. Right. Is a group of drug dealers called a click? It is now. Sure. Uh, Science. We heard it right here. Winston, go away. The drugs are not for you. I He's... think Winston already got the drugs. <laughs> he is mad about something. Um, so... Anyway, um, he was the most educated member of this clique of drug pushers. Um, and so he was nicknamed the professor and, um, he 
eventually just completely left school in the second year of his master's of psychology. And so he'd like made it through a bachelor's degree and got into a master's program. And during this program, he started working as a social worker, but he was just making above minimum wage. And he felt that selling drugs was too lucrative for him to give up. So he quit school instead. So he could rent an apartment in the East village to sell drugs out of. I feel like selling drugs is kind of like being, um, like a dancer or a supermodel. Like there's definitely an end date to that. And so you need a backup plan. That's um, all I'm saying. Well, I just have a bigger question that you can answer probably with more expertise than most people I know. Is okay. drug dealing just an MLM? Oh yeah. Totally. <laughs> 100% drug dealing is just an MLM. Yeah. So, like, cocaine or plexus, whatever it is, the end result is the same. Thrive, plexus, cocaine, ecstasy, it's all the same. Perfect. Um, <laughs> I don't know why my brain went there, but we were there, so we went. I mean, you're not wrong, so. So, it was during this time of his life that his path intersected with Liz's mother. Liz Murray was, um, oh, so I cut out a lot of their relationship and I didn't realize I did that. So we're just moving on now. Um, it's when you get to the top of your drug dealer strike path that you then meet your <laughs> right. Wife. Instead of a pink Cadillac, you get a wife. Well, no, I mean, instead of getting to meet Keith Ranieri and go to V week. Oh, thank you, God. You meet a wife. I, honestly, that would be a better um, so Liz Murray says that she was only three years old when she realized her parents were addicted to drugs. Um, several times during the day, they would just disappear behind a door and um, they'd spread out the required tools on the table and shoot up. Um, that's how an article described it, because I don't think I would describe it as spreading out the tools. But but yeah, just like. What a weird way to have your afternoon snack. Like, um, first of all, I don't make enough money to be a, a to be any good at drugs. But I mean, what <laughs> to be any good at drugs? Like, like there's a mastery level. <laughs> um, like I so... can eat an edible all day long. I can smoke pot, but like real drugs, I don't have the dedication or the money. Right. Um, or so, the time, really. I just don't have the time. I have other shit to do. <laughs> so it was not long until this attempt at secrecy um, unraveled. Uh, and not Liz, a very good one. Right. Liz and her older sister were surrounded by addiction. They were living in filth and they were basically constantly hungry. Um, as a preschool child, the welfare checks were the only thing that brought any type of um, relief to their lives. And basically she would eagerly wait on like the first of every month watching for the postman to arrive because that meant they were going to have some food for a little bit. She said they would go as kind of, sorry, this whole story kind of reminds me of the glass castle. Never heard of it. You've never read the, Oh, what are you doing? Um, you ha- put it on your TBR like next the glass castle so okay. good writing it down now 
It's an excellent book. Mm. I have not seen the movie. I've heard mixed reviews, but the book is incredible. It's a memoir. So good. Gotcha. Um, so she said that they would go and cash the check together. Quote, my sister Lisa and I, we would walk them down to the drug spot and mom and dad would go. They'd disappear up the staircase. They would buy drugs and come back down. So like they'd buy food and then they'd go buy drugs on the same trip with Lisa and Liz waiting outside. And Lisa didn't take them inside. I know. Like I know addiction is a hell of a disease. It is. This just breaks my heart over and over. That's a thing, like, and that was the thing in the movie, too, in the very beginning, when the mom is, like, fighting them, like, tooth and nail, literally, for this money, and then she just breaks down sobbing, and she's like, I need it, I need the money, I need it. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. Um, so they would only spend around $30 on food. Um, she said, in general, they would eat things like ice cubes or chapstick or toothpaste, and that they would knock on their neighbor's doors and ask for any leftovers they were willing to part with. Um, and I would have taken those kids in and fed them. They would have just lived with me. This is what I, um, uh she said. The mm -hmm. thing was though, that everyone in the neighborhood was living off of government checks and most people weren't any better off than they were. And so it was just, I know. It was just, I'm just thinking addiction if I was, like, surrounded by addiction into this uh-huh. neighborhood. I'd have been like, okay, girls, like, come in. Let's feed you. Right. I'd be feeding all the damn kids in that neighborhood. So that's a thing in my neighborhood. If you're at my house at 630, then you have to eat with us. And the, yeah. the group of children who have come by for at least a snack has grown exponentially. And we're in like a nice, well-adjusted neighborhood, but just like the yeah. fact that someone's paying attention to them is mm-hmm. so important to them. I can't imagine being somewhere else. When my, you know? when my son has friends over and so it's like, I break out all the snack foods, like all the snacky junk crap, but I'll make it. And I mean, I'm like, here, here's all the food, eat it. I'm just going to leave it out. If you need to heat it up, heat it up. Like my Mikasa, Sukasa, like, here have all this food and eat all of it because I'm not going to eat it. (laughs) Right. But I put out a spread and, you know, my son's always like, Mom, none of my other friends do that. And I'm like, well, too bad. Too bad. (laughs) Um, So, (laughs) excuse me. She said that she did always feel a kind of peace that at least her family um, went to bed under the same roof at night, that at least they were always together. Um, She said, quote, my mother used to sit at the foot of my bed and she would share her dreams with me. Um, but as her mother's desperation for money got worse and worse, the bond between the family broke and, um, oh, the bond between Liz and her mother broke when Liz's grandmother sent her a birthday card that contained $5 only for it to be stolen from her mother by her mother to buy drugs. Um, and that is the scene that they were playing out in the movie that you were referencing. Five dollars. Oh, oh no! In the movie, it's like a hundred dollars. It's like a roll of bills. Yeah, no. This is like they had a fight over five dollars so she could buy drugs. Um, and then Liz confronted. Even, okay, I have questions. Can you even buy drugs for five dollars? I don't know. 
I don't know. But Liz confronted her about it. And so her mother flushed the drugs away. So then like she fought her for the $5 and then didn't like literally threw them away. So, um, she began begging me to forgive her. This is a woman who is strung out and desperate to get high. And she just flushed her drugs down the toilet. She looked at me and said, Lizzie, I'm not a monster. I just can't stop. Sweetheart, forgive me. Um, at least she asked for forgiveness. Like, it's so, like you said, addiction is like a monster of a disease and it's so bizarre. But when you, I mean, having a parent steal from you and I can speak from actual experience, having a parent steal from you is like a a whole other level of betrayal. And, um, but then I think too, to have that person come back and be genuinely sorry and not understand why they did what they did uh-huh. would be a, would be, and of course I can't, t- I don't know. That's not my experience, but right. I can imagine that it would be even more painful to have that happen. Right. Um, so Liz later found out that her parents had been sharing their needles with other addicts. And in 1990, her mother was diagnosed as HIV positive. Um, and so she like, came into Lizzie's room or Liz's room to tell her one night and basically said, you can only live this way for so long before something bad happens. Like she was taking ownership of the fact that, that she had put herself at risk. Um, so what I did appreciate about this movie is they did not lean into the stigma of HIV AIDS super hard. Right. Which, when the mom was sick, and really with, with the dad, because and he they, he kind of did at the end when he was sick, and he was like, yeah, they're going to get me my own apartment. He's like, they want, like, us HIV-positive people, like, not in the shelter. But they didn't lean in super hard to, like, oh, I'm a pariah, like... Right. Because, I mean, let's face it, we were all fucking stupid back then. So. Right. Um, so... Um, with her mom in and out of hospital and her father who was still heavily addicted to heroin, Liz eventually wound up on the streets. And in 1996, right before Christmas, her mother died. Um, Liz says, quote, she was alone when she passed away. We buried her in this service. They donated a pine box. Someone took a black magic marker and they misspelled her name. Her mother's death is... Her mother's death is what inspired her to change her life. So she decided to go to high school, even though she was still homeless. And after many rejections, she opted for an alternative high school, which was humanities preparatory Academy in Chelsea. Um, So she was beginning school when she was like 17. So most of the people her age were about to graduate and she was just getting into school. Yeah. So it was really interesting that there's a scene in the movie where they she is talking to the guy that runs the school and he's like, oh, she says, I want I don't want to graduate from high school when I'm 21. And he's like, oh, so you're trying to do it in three years. And she's like, no, I'm trying to do it in two. Yeah. And she I mean, that was she did. Um, so she said um, she promised to become a straight A student. And she said, quote, in a world of no, these teachers were a yes to me. Um, as she neared the end of her high school education, um, and she did, she doubled up on classes. She was taking twice as many hours as anyone in school. So she could finish in two years. She was working. Um, and then I will kind of get into her living situation with Lisa. Um, but, um, she, the last, or while she was toward the end of her high school, 
Um, she was taken on a school trip to Boston and it was her first time to ever leave New York. She said the last thing we did was go to Harvard Yard simply because we were supposed to take a picture in front of the John Harvard statue. Um, and when she got like excited about being on campus at Harvard, uh, one of her teachers suggested she applied, but with no money and still homeless, which nobody at school knew, like, Mm -hmm. you know, her dad had given the false address. Like that's a, that's a fact. And so, um, they thought that she was living with her father. Nobody knew that she was homeless because she was afraid that they would call child services and that she would lose this only opportunity that she'd gotten for herself. Um, so with no money and homeless, she figured Harvard was out of reach. Um, I knew I needed scholarships, she said. Finally, there was one from the New York Times, $12,000 per year, every year of school. Um, And now I'm back into a direct um, big quote from her memoir because she describes it better than I could even, like, reduce it down to. Um, Okay. So she says, On a rainy Friday afternoon, I shut my umbrella and walked through the rotating doors of the New York Times building on 43rd Street, right off Times Square, for my scholarship interview. Um, Sam and I had gone to a thrift store um, shopping on Fordham Road to locate the pair of khakis I was wearing, the button-down shirt that almost fit me, and the used pair of black boots that sort of looked like dress shoes when my pants covered them. Lisa loaned me her pea coat with one button missing, but the coat still looked professional. I I still look professional, I thought. 3,000 high school students had applied for the six scholarships, and 21 finalists had been picked. I was chosen as one of them, and on that brutally cold afternoon, the day of my interview, I was ready. I was also tired. I'd already had a long day. It had begun with a trip that Lisa and I took to welfare. The reason we were in welfare was because we were fighting to get rent. We needed rent because we'd gotten an apartment. Um... Now, Lisa is an adult at this point, but she has not been able to get custody of Liz. And so, right. um, her, so they're trying but to together. But is 18 by this point? Um, yeah, you're right. She if turned in the packet the on her 18th okay. birthday. Um, right. You're right. So um, with the money I'd say from my second summer working um, at, so she worked um, at a group that was in partnership with the humanity school that she went to. She worked there for okay. two summers. Um, Lisa and I made a deal soon after I turned 18 and was old enough to legally sign a lease and old enough to no longer worry about being taken to a group home. I would spend my entire savings, every dollar of it to get us into a one bedroom on Bedford park between real estate fees, first month's rent and a security deposit, a mattress, several pots and pans and a kitchen table with two chairs. I was flat broke when we were done and I was busy around the clock with 11 classes and college applications. So I was too busy to get a job in return for my contribution. Lisa, who was employed at the gap would pay all of our bills while I finished my classes until I could work again. This would also leave her flat broke on this tight budget. We could keep the lights on, buy some food sometimes and have very basic telephone service and just barely pay the rent. A reliable source of food would come from the local soup kitchens and especially from the pantry packs they gave me at the door, which were a lifesaver. As part of the deal, Selm could share my room with me. She moved away the same day that Lisa and I did. She moved in the same day Lisa and I did. So Sam was her Chris. Okay, gotcha. <clears throat> I, that's what I figured, but... Um, okay. So, 
Um, to get the scholarship, Liz had to detail the obstacles getting to college and how the scholarship would help her. Um, and one of those obstacles was that welfare meeting that she was going to before the New York Times interview. Um, she said that the caseworker just looked her in the face and said, you're not eligible for public assistance. What do you mean? I asked when it was obvious she wasn't going to elaborate. There was a sharp intake of breath, sucking, sucking noise through her teeth. And then she rolled her eyes. I mean exactly what I said, princess, you're not eligible. Princess, her name calling took me back to the group home and back to the motels with Carlos. Life was holding up a truth for me. There were so many, uh, there were just as many people deciding my life for me as there were, as there was neediness in my life and never more than that. The more needy I kept myself, the more it would always be up to other people what happened to me. I decided I would make my life so full of things that empowered me. People like this woman would shrink away until they disappeared from my sight. I understood what you said, ma'am. I'm just asking why I'm not eligible. She came back with a lot of words, more eye rolling, but no real answer. Like many of the people I saw being helped that morning, I found myself yelling at an indifferent caseworker, another brick in that wall that stood between me and what I wanted and needed. I could feel my anger growing. She became, for that moment, all the people who ever told me no, all the caseworkers who ever frustrated me, and the teachers at those first high schools who turned me down. I became livid. I raised my hand in a stop motion closer to her face than I knew was okay. I said, you know what? I'm going to be late for my interview for Harvard if I keep wasting my time with you. My intention was to lash out at her to let her know that even though she had power over me in this moment, I was going somewhere bigger than the welfare office, bigger than her, she laughed in my face. Yeah, well, I got Miss Yell coming in next, so why don't you get on with your meeting, Miss Harvard? I want to say, like, that must be exaggerated, but while I was living with my parents after a breakup, after surgery, having going through physical therapy, not being able to work a lot because of whatever. I tried to get assistance so I could get out of that house because it was not good for me mentally. Right. Um, and they, I mean, that. Yeah. That's it. They're like, oh, well, three years ago you had a job that paid you $50,000 a year. And I'm like, cool. Well, I don't have any of that money anymore because it was three years ago. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, they're ruthless. Um, so directly after this meeting, which had just gone so well, Liz had scheduled to leave there and go to an interview with a Harvard alumnus. Um, she said it was basically a blur. It went fine. She guesses, but she doesn't really remember anything of it because that led directly to her interview with the New York times. So okay. like a real full day. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I mean I'm going to say at least one of those meetings, I think, went well. Yes. So she I mean, said... the welfare lady can fuck herself, but also it's not their fault. They don't have the funds to give out them. Right. The system is broken. We can get into that later. Right. Um, there are... It's been a long time since we've been interrupted by multiple um, email noises, but here we are, guys. Yay! We did it. You're welcome. Uh, um, so... Um, <coughs> Excuse me. I Is knew that our friend again telling us how um, <laughs> not encouraging we are. Listen, he can go fuck himself. Um, 
So she said, quote, I knew the interview would be about my essay. They'd asked, describe an, describe an obstacle you've overcome. Since I was 18 by then and couldn't be forced into the custody of child welfare, I'd written my New York Times essay about being homeless. I held nothing back. Um, and then she told this heartbreaking but also kind of charming story about when she got there for her meeting um there was nobody in the waiting room but her and like the receptionist there was a full spread of donuts and snack foods and stuff and the receptionist was like help yourself to any of this really nobody's eaten any of it so when the receptionist turned her head like turned her back she basically just poured a plate of donuts into her purse and like took everything she could off that table and then walked into this interview with her hands still like coated in sugar from stealing the donuts and had to grab a Kleenex and wipe her hands before she could shake the hands of all the people on the panel. I feel like this is a universal thing though, because somebody was like, here's a table full of breakfast food and sweets that no one has touched. Have at it. Uh Uh-huh. I'm taking it with me. Right. Exactly. I love breakfast food. Right. Now I want a waffle. You're welcome. Right now. Um, so anyway, she said, um, in the interview, she shared even more than what she'd written. I told them these writers, editors, people in business suits with expensive looking bracelets and bow ties. I told them about Ma and daddy about university Avenue Ma selling the Thanksgiving Turkey. I told them about, and I mean, there was just, it was a whole book, but like I, in the middle, she... in at some point in her life, she sold their Thanksgiving dinner for drug money. Yeah. I told them about surviving now on I the want ju- a turkey and waffles. It's going to be a weird Thanksgiving. <laughs> can you make dressing with waffles instead of I'm cornbread sure dressing? Um, I'm a hundred percent sure that's possible. Right. Um, so I told them about surviving on the generosity of others. Um, and sleeping in stairwells, I told them about not eating every day and getting meals at places like the door. The room fell quiet. One man with a red tie and glasses leaned forward on the large conference table and broke the silence. Um, and he basically asked her um, if there's anything else she wanted to tell them. Like, he waited till she was all talked out. And he was like, is there anything else you want to add? And she said, if I don't get this, I can't go to college. Thank you. And that's walked out. Um So the next day she got a phone call that she'd been awarded the scholarship. Um, She was called in to take photos and a story was written about her and the five other winners about the, who got the scholarship. It didn't hit her that the story was actually going to run in the New York times until she saw it on a newsstand, her picture right next to a story about Bill and Hillary Clinton for, for her (laughs) friend, right? For her friends and teachers, it was the first they'd heard about her past struggles. She'd mentioned her school in the interview. Uh, Can you imagine? uh You sat next to this person for how long? And you're like, wait, I'm sorry. What? Right. Um, That's the the, the end all be all of you never know what someone's going through when they're not around. (laughs) So... She'd mentioned what school she went to in her interview. And when she got to school the next day, there was an actual like crowd of people that she called the angel brigade who were people who just read her story and came to help her. And I'm going to cry because this is the uplifting part. They should have told in the movie. Like this is the part they should have told. She said, I was looking for, she said, I remember coming to school and the lobby was filled with people. They didn't know each other. They were people who read the article, got in their cars, drove to the school and said, can we help Liz? 
Um, she said after that, I never slept rough again. They brought her clothing and food and care packages. Mail came in from all over America with pictures of families inviting her and her sister to come live with them. So they'd have a like nice house. Um, people just sent money so that she wouldn't be without ever again. People sent books to read and then books to prepare her for college. Like, like fiction. And then also like books to prepare for college. Um, I said books to read, and I was like, what else? What the fuck else do you do with a book, Paul? You're an English teacher. You just reminded me, so, like, this is completely unrelated, but there's, like, a, on The Bachelorette, there's, like, a whole thing going on where they, they the one left already, now they're going to bring in a new one. And, <laughs> and the guy, like, after she leaves, he's like, I bought a whole book about Alzheimer's so I could learn about her mom's condition. Like, what am I going to do with that book now? <laughs> Um, do you follow, oh, I think her name is Jenna Nicole on, um, TikTok. She does the tanning salon owner. Tay Lynn is her character that she plays. No, I'm going to have don't. to send you. So ta- you it is the most accurate representation of an early 2000s tanning salon, but now she is on the bachelor, but she like does not fucking want to be there. <laughs> and she, it's just okay. the funniest shit she keeps getting a rose and then like the most recent one is she's talking like oh i can't say that well what the fuck am i supposed to say like she's just so disinterested you will love it so that's funny i will send you her stuff um that's funny like i i'm still trying to finish watching the the wood chopping guys videos oh there's never an end thirst trap city i know i'm Um, gonna send it to the group chat later yeah you should Perfect. probably stay out of there for a couple days. I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go take a cold shower for everybody. We all need a cold shower. <laughs> so um, anyway, one guy even gathered his friends who lived in the city and they got together with others in the community and they raised money to pay everything that Liz, Lisa and Sam owed in back rent. They paid their electricity bill. They filled the fridge. They, made sure that they didn't have to like struggle anymore. And she even talked about this one woman. Um, and I did not write her name down because she is the true hero of the week to me. Um, but she, um, came over, she said she didn't have anything extra to offer, but what she realized her kids loved best when she did was their laundry and that she said every kid deserved to have a mom who did their laundry. So she came over once a week and did all of their laundry so that that was one less thing oh, on their plate. Uh, you know what? Real talk. If somebody offered to just come over and do my laundry, <laughs> my laundry and my dishes, those are the things that just never fucking end. Uh huh. I feel like I'm always doing my laundry, always doing dishes. If I didn't have to do those things, I could do other things like scrub my baseboards. Right. So, um, Liz got all that plus the scholarship money. So she started her studies in Harvard. She began public speaking. Um, especially she set out to help people who like herself had an impossible mountain to climb to succeed in life. Um, Mm -hmm. so today she makes her living as a motivational speaker. Um, and she's the founder of manifest living, which is a company that offers workshops for people who want to change their circumstances and rise Mm -hmm. like, and work to rise above the poverty level. Um, sure. By the time she'd finished her studies. Um, so she did, she went for a year and then took some time off because her father was sick. 
Um, okay. And he. Okay. They don't cover that. They're just like, she left Harvard and now she's a speaker and she pays her own rent. And I was like, that is the worst story ever. Right. Okay? Um. So she stayed with her father until he died of AIDS. Um. She um, says that she took comfort in knowing that her father died a sober man. Um, and she said, quote, when someone gets sober, it's almost like meeting them for the first time. Just before he passed away, he wrote me this card. He wrote in the card, Lizzie, I left my dreams behind a long time ago, but now I know they're safe with you. Now we're family again. And that encouraged her to go back and finish. And, um, Lisa also went through school and got a degree in education and is an autism teacher. And, and is she okay? Because, like, the last I saw of her in the movie, she's like, oh, by the way, I'm blind. I have no blind. more information about ocular <laughs> dystrophy, atrophy. It was so random. Right. It was like, oh, here's my coat. You totally could have lived here if you wanted to, even though our grandfather would have abused you. Also, I'm blind. Good luck right. with your interview. Bye. Great. Huh? Yeah, no. So I have no more information on that, but. Um, I hate that the movie left out kind of my favorite parts. Like her angel brigade brigade helped yes. her like for so long after they read the story. Um, and just the idea of, of strangers sitting like, look, this is our family and we have extra rooms in our house. Please come live with us. We'll take good care of you. Like that's the human, the humanity story. That's yes. I mean, the, the fact that she put herself through school and then, you know, got into Harvard. That's incredible. Right. That, I mean, I'm not going to shit on that at all because I, I mean that's fucking hard. But the the hum the human interest story is the fact that all of these people rallied around her to help her succeed. Uh huh. And I feel like they just dropped it after they fumbled through a plot for already, <laughs> they had already fumbled through a plot for an hour and they're like oh shit she has to go to high school real quick hold on <laughs> like bring in the school set let's do this. It was very weird. Um, yeah, like, I would have loved to see Lifetime. Now I feel like we're in, like, Deck the Hallmark, where we're doing the, um, what the Hallmark, <laughs> and I'm like, but I would have liked to hear about a scene where she sold Thanksgiving dinner for drugs. Like, I feel like that would have been more important to the development of the story than anything else they provided you. I mean, if we're going to go full Deck the Hallmark, this whole movie was a wait what for me, okay? So... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I just man. am grumpy Dan. <laughs> um, yeah, right. So, um, listen, but as we're wrapping things up, I would just like to say, if you are curious to learn about the history of voter fraud in America so that you have ammunition to talk to your conservative family with over Thanksgiving, join us at patreon.com slash lifetime sentence. I did a shit ton of research. Y'all, I just want to pre-apologize because... He's like, let's do the regular episode first. And I drink wine through the regular episode. So now <laughs> I've had a glass of wine. And now we're going to talk about voter fraud. So you'll probably be able to hear Patreon even if you don't join our Patreon. <laughs> Just be able to hear me right? in about 10 minutes screaming about voter fraud. So I would say I'm sorry, but I'm really not. <laughs> 
All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. Um, Don't forget to look us up on all the socials. You can find us at Instagram at Lifetime Sentence. You can find us on Twitter at Life Sentence Pod. You can find us at facebook.com slash lifetime sentence. Of course, our Patreon. You can find show notes and our merch at lifetimesentence.com. And shoot us an email about something other than our discouraging numbers at lifetime sentence podcast at gmail.com. Please. Um, we will be back with a good old fashioned murder. I haven't decided which one, but. Good. Good. So we lifted your spirits this week with a shitty movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we'll drop you straight back down. You got a, you, you got a new president and a shitty movie. And now <laughs> we're going to go back to a good movie with a terrible murder. Perfect. No new presidents. <laughs> well, until next time, don't forget to eat your vegetables. Charge your phone. And thank you for telling your family about the change of voting date for uh, Republicans. Because it clearly worked. Or people just finally got wise. Yeah, I think, you know, I want to say that, but then 50, 55% of white women voted for Donald Trump, and I don't fucking get it. We're going to have a meeting. <laughs> there will be champagne for 45% of you. Yeah, there will be champagne <laughs> for 45% of us. Not for everyone. <laughs> Oh, man. Bye. (laughs) This is Lifetime Sentence, the podcast where we watch bad Lifetime original movies and compare them to the truly heinous stories that inspired them. Because sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction.